Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Coming up on this episode of The Glue Guys, Alex Schiffer and I did what's called a live room on the Athletic app. It's essentially like uh, Spotify Green Room or Spotify Live, whatever they're calling it. It's like Clubhouse. It's just live audio. It's for Athletic subscribers only, live and in the moment. It's a really fun place to be. It's part of the reason why you should become a subscriber to The Athletic. Uh, We brought some people up to ask questions to Alex and I. Uh, A lot of the conversation that we had, it started with Sean Marks' comments about Kyrie Irving. We talked about that and Kyrie's future with the team, which is quite intriguing. And then we kind of expanded it out from there, talking about the overall team's culture, piggybacking off of what Sean Marks himself said. And at the very end, I asked Alex a couple of things about Steve Nash and his place on the team. So coming up, after the intro music, you're going to hear the beginning of that live room. Again, if you want to be a part of these sessions, go to theathletic.com slash glue guys. There will be a special offer waiting for you there if you're not an athletic subscriber. And if you are, Alex and I are going to be doing a lot more of these over the offseason, particularly we're trying to do stuff around breaking news. So if the Nets make a big trade, We're going to try to jump on and do something fun there. Um, And thank you for everyone who is a Glue Guys listener that was a part of the live room. You're a special class person, and you deserve everything good in this world to come to you. Coming up next is Alex Schiffer and I talking about your Brooklyn Nets. Thank you, everyone, who are joining us here on this momentous occasion. Alex Schiffer, of course, the award-winning Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for The Athletic. Uh, (laughs) The team is not playing right now, but it feels like they are in the news. If you're watching ESPN FS1 this morning, you will have certainly seen a Kyrie Irving, Sean Marks headline. Um, This comes from... Sean Marks' end-of-the-year press conference, which happened yesterday in Brooklyn. Alex was there. Alex, um, so the team is going to dump Kyrie Irving. Is that what you're reporting? Please tell me. Yeah, trade is imminent. <laughs> What's going on? You were there in the room. What, what, what was the vibe when Sean was saying the things that he was saying? Kind of recount what he had said in the press conference that has caused a tizzy in that's world. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really surprised he said what he said. You know, I think you'd agree when he said at the beginning in August last year, 
that extensions for Kyrie and James Harden would be, quote, signed, sealed, delivered for the start of the season. He never does that. He's not an attention-grabbing executive like some other people in uh, in the in the sport. He would not go on WFAN and say, buckle up, Nets fans, there's going to be four more years of this the way Daryl Morey did in Philly uh, with Ben Simmons. So given that he called a shot and it didn't go his way, I thought it was going to be natural that he wasn't as in the same – I lost the word I was going to use, but wasn't as direct and and assertive with his plans, given the way they aged a year ago. Um, that being said, I still think Kyrie Irving's in it next year and signs an extension. I just think it comes down to structure. So tell me about the structure, because that is interesting, because typically a guy of Kyrie's level, it's actually a very easy negotiation if they want to sign with the team. And I will say from Kyrie's point of view – it seemed like he did want to sign with the team, or he does. Though, of course, Kyrie's history has indicated that sometimes he says he wants to sign with the team and then he doesn't. I'm talking about the Boston Celtics. Um, when you talk about structure, what are you thinking, you know, in terms of differences? And Because, again, a max contract is, you know, fully guaranteed pretty much all the time. And it's this many years, this amount of money, this percentage of the cap. When you think of structure, what are you thinking about? I, I kind of wonder just how incentive-based they can make it with games played. And, and you know how Denver used Michael Porter's contract last year where it's like five years, $173 million or something crazy? But, like, a lot of that is award-based and um, games played-based given the back injuries he's had. We might talk about him later given uh, Ben Simmons. But I, I feel like there's a way they can maybe make some of that incentive-based and um, maybe front-loaded too if they could given that, you know, he's talked about before, again, take him at his word, but floated retiring early and, and not not doing this late into his 30. So, I mean, I think it's natural to have his deal line up with Durant's and maybe maybe structure in a way where it's, it's more front-loaded and more maybe incentive-based on the back end. Um, this is me speculating, but I, I just feel like there's got to be some creative way, like, you don't see team options anymore in, in max contracts. So, like, I think that would be the Nets' dream maybe uh, two years in or something like that. But I don't think I don't think there's any planet on which we see that. So that's part of the problem with this is just the way that this has all changed. Um, I I, I kind of wonder, too, how much of it is like Kevin Durant's with, with opt-outs, with no opt-outs and, and all that. Well, let me ask you this. So about the Kyrie quote, that, again, caused tizzies all across the borough of Brooklyn and parts of New Jersey um, and the world, really. It's really caught fire around the world. Um, if I had this correct, Marx was asked specifically, This the question was, what is Kyrie Irving's future with the team, right? That was, I think, the question. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, he he talked around a couple things because he was asked about that. He was asked about, you know, you've had Ben and Kyrie, two of your big three. You haven't been there reliable lately. You know, does that concern you? And how much of that factors into where you go from here? And he was also asked, which he completely talked around. The Kevin Durant is our best uh, player development coach. Came in when someone asked him, uh, "What have you made of the Kevin and Kyrie era three years in, where w- year one was a wash and year two and three hasn't gone that well?" 
So what Mark said specifically about Kyrie, when asked about Kyrie's future with the team, he said, Mark, Mark, this is from your story that I'm reading from The Athletic, which if you're a subscriber, of course you are in this live room. Everyone should go read. Um, Mark said he plans to talk to Irving over the summer about his commitment going forward. And here's the quote. We need people here that want to be here, that are selfless, that want to be part of something bigger than themselves. There's an objective. There's a goal at stake here. In order to do that, we're going to need availability from everybody. Um, Marx didn't have to say this, right? And I think that's why it's drawing such a reaction, because it's pretty easy. You know, you said a very good point at the top. Marx was burned in the past for extending himself too far and saying, you know, uh, Harden and Kyrie are going to get extensions. They're going to sign those extensions. Um, there was reporting even before that that Kyrie was going to get vaccinated. Like the reporting was around the team was that Harden, KD, and Kyrie were all going to be vaccinated by the time the season began. Obviously, I don't know if people have heard this, but Kyrie did not get vaccinated, it seems. Wait, what? That's my, that's my reporting that I've, I've reported that out. Um, so Marx is, Marx is like a, a jilted lover. You know, he, he just can't, he's, he has extended himself. He has made commitments and he has stated them publicly. It's like he posted on Instagram how much he loves these guys. And then, you know, they kind of, uh, disregard his love. Right. So I understand why Marx is saying this, but he even extended, Sean Marx extended further than he had to. Right. He could have simply have left it as, well, Kyrie has to make a decision himself and that uh, we will wait for Kyrie to make a decision on the player option. And then after that, we will have our conversations with him about a possible contract if we get to that point. We'll leave it at that. He instead decided to say about the availability of people that people need to be selfless. But this what we're trying to do is something bigger than individual goals. I got it. I mean, as as much as I don't want to blow this out of proportion, there must be something going on between management that they're now feeling they have to make a shift in the way that they communicate certain things about how they want things to go. Because in the past, Sean Marks never would have sort of said these things about Kyrie or or in a question about Kyrie and then put this out there. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. If you think there's any significance to what Sean Marks said, or if you just think we're blowing this out of proportion. I, I think there was some to it just in the sense, you know, you think about the fans. I mean, disclaimer, my family had Jets season tickets for 35 years. You know, I, I remember when the Nets got knocked lot. out. People explains a lot about your personality. You know? Thank you. I know there's a part of me that's dead. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I remember when the Nets got knocked out, there was a lot of talk about, like, they're, you know, they put us through this year and then they're raising season tickets. Like, I think there did need to be a court strike. And you talked – we've talked privately about um, the messaging and about, you know, all of a sudden they start handing out timelines. I do think there needs to be more transparency and and maybe more of a, of a striking in the middle instead of just leaning one way or another, whether it was in the darkness or just, you know, on the player side of – Look like this hasn't gone as expected. Uh, we know you're frustrated, and we know that this guy has has had numerous absences and hasn't been very reliable. And we 
gutted this team you fell in love with with Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris is the last man standing uh, to create this super team and it hasn't gone anywhere possible. So I, I do think that there needed to be some kind of striking messaging of, of this can't continue, but also we're not going to call our shots as to how this is going to go anymore either. So I, uh, I I don't think Kyrie and the Nets are going anywhere. I, I, I just, they, they, they need each other in a way, right? I mean, I, I think Kyrie's market, if you're to pursue free agency, is depressed outside of the lack of teams with cap space, given the way this past year went. And I also think that who, who else are the Nets going to chase? They don't have any assets to swing a big trade. They don't have the horses for Jeremy Grant. You know, where where does the rest of the star power come from? So I, I think that there there needs to be a, a some kind of medium of this hasn't worked and it's not cool. But also, you know, they can't just kick him to the curb because they need him in a way. It, I, that's the thing. I mean, like any semi-responsible team builder, which Sean Marks is definitely at least semi-responsible, like they're going to give him the contract. He's going to accept the contract unless it be – because if you're Kyrie, if you just kind of get inside his head, which is a very tough thing to do, and, you know, you as a reporter have tried to do it, myself as a podcast host, I've tried to do it many, many times, and it's a tough place to sort of navigate in there. Um, it's like the maze at the end of uh, The Shining. You don't really know where you're going, and you could end up in a really bad place at the end. Um, but Kyrie seems happiest playing for the Nets, even if there are things that happens that he uh, could change about his life, um, but he decides not to play. Uh, that's his own thing. But going to any other team in the NBA, things would be worse for him. The situation would be worse. He'd be further from home. He'd probably be going to a more hostile franchise, a more hostile fan base. Because any fan base that, that he would go to, it would be rare that any of them would be very pumped to have Kyrie Irving on their team, right? And I think all these things are recognized by him. As he said at the end of the season, after they lost to the Celtics in the first round, you know, he stated, again, declaratively, that he wants to be with Seven, who is Kevin Durant, that he, he wouldn't want to leave Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant... You know, for Nets fans, thank God Kevin Durant signed his extension. Because, Alex, could you imagine what this offseason would be like if KD was also a semi-available player on the market? What the amount of conversation that that would drive in the league that Kevin Durant could decide to go basically wherever he wants. You know, we don't have to deal with that right now. Yeah, thank God. Um, So... (laughs) Will, I, actually, I, I'm not going to dox who says this, uh, but someone in our company Slack is asking me, they don't want to be in the chat, but he says, if Joe Harris and Ben Simmons were healthy, are we even having these conversations right now? Um, Alex, you know, you and I have thought about this many, many times. If Ben Simmons and, and Joe Harris were healthy, what would the Nets' fortunes have been this year? The only thing I'll say to that question from the anonymous person, which I will not name here. Um, Joe Harris is, is that's fine to think about like Joe Harris's ankle. And if he was healthy, how different the team would be Ben Simmons though. We can't even begin to dream of a world where Ben Simmons is healthy and mentally, um, excited to play or in a, in a place where he feels comfortable playing an NBA game. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, it would be common to think about, Oh, if, 
if Ben Simmons was healthy, how different that Celtics series would have been, and maybe they're competing still against the Bucks. He hasn't played for the Brooklyn Nets, and by the time he maybe plays, he will have gone through a year-and-a-half layoff and a back surgery, right? So it's a, it would be a disservice to us to even think about what Ben Simmons would be like. You know what I mean? Like I, he, I agree completely. I uh... – I Joe Harris to me, and I remember we we talked about this last live room before it got down due to technical difficulties. Um, he was extremely reliable as a net last year. In a year full of injuries, he was their most consistent rotation player just in terms of availability. And he had a good start to this season before getting hurt. I, I definitely think that the once he was out of the lineup, you saw just how badly they needed him, even just for spacing purposes, and how quickly you ran out of shooters. Um, Alexander A, I see your question, but, uh, it, it going off, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Going off of what you said, Mike, I, I'm, I'm fully in the, let's talk about Ben Simmons as a fit with the Nets when we see him on the court, because as you said, he was off for a year, this off season, he's taking an L essentially because he has a rehab. We'll see what he looks like come training camp, but I think it's going to, I feel like we might not know. Assuming the Nets get a Christmas Day game next year and Ben Simmons is healthy and playing, I feel like we won't know till around then just where he sits with this team in terms of fit and rust and post-surgery and all that. Um, food for thought, Mike, out of curiosity, since we're coming up on the one-year mark. Uh, I have stories recently this week with Sam Vecini and John Hollinger kind of talking about the Nets rookies with Sam and, and the offseason outlook with John. The latter just went up two hours ago. Check it out. Uh, a year ago, Mike, you know, the Nets traded uh, Landry Shamit, who was extension eligible, for the pick that became Dayron Sharp and Javon Carter. Dayron showed some flashes this year, but didn't play a lot because they had a million centers. And Javon is no longer with the team, and they're paying four million for him next year to not be on the team. Uh, given the way they needed shooting this year, what do you make of that trade? Nearly a year later. Well, I'll even go back further. I go back to the original sin of trading for Landry Shamit and giving up the chance to draft Sadiq Bay, even at the time. I mean, now it would be very I, I loved him at Villanova, yeah. I loved – so if everyone remembers what it was, I think it was the 19th overall pick that the Nets held. And what they did was a three-way trade, which Luke Kennard went from the Pistons to the Clippers. The Clippers traded Shamit to the Nets, and the Nets traded their first-round pick to the, the Pistons – who drafted Sadiq Bay? I think it was on draft night when this happened. Bruce Brown was in that trade too. Well, Bruce Brown was in that trade because it was connected to. Yeah, they combined the trades. Correct. They combined the trades, but but it seemed like the the Bruce Brown for Musa and a second round pick was a separate deal that they combined, right? And I think the and the Bruce Brown deal would have happened without this three way trade happening. It seems like. Um, I, at the time, and not to be like, I'm smarter than Sean Marks, but I really was pumped about Sadiq Bey, what he could bring to the team. He was a guy who was like, who's being mocked around the 12th pick. And so you're like, "Eh, is he going to fall to the Nets? He'd be kind of perfect. He's also from Maryland. Um, He's kind of like a from, he's one of the many Villanova guys who are from the DMV. Uh, Obviously, that means a lot to Kevin Durant being from the DMV himself. And he was, you know, he is who he is, which is he scored 50 points in a game this year, but he's like a 6'8", three-point shooting defensive big. He's he's young Jeff Green, right? So 
I was excited about that possibility. They moved for Landry Shamit, who, you know, I, of course, like everyone else, really liked him with the 76ers, liked him less with the Clippers. And when he came to the Nets, I was really underwhelmed. Um, and they traded then for Javon Carter, which is what we're talking about here. The thing is, though, like, I think Sean Marks has made, not counting Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving coming to the Nets, which is like, I don't know if you can give Sean Marks necessarily credit for those moves, but he built the team that made it appealing for them to come. Marks has made more, many more good moves than bad moves, right? Like, I think we can say that. That was a bad move. But, as you brought up, Alex, he got Bruce Brown for Musa, who's playing in Europe at a second-round pick who what that became, I don't know, but it's a second round pick, right? So, um, I think that was Reggie Perry. I want to say Reggie Perry. How exciting was Reggie Perry? Oh gosh. The training kit. He was a mix of Sean Kemp and a unicorn. I mean, he was, there was so much Reggie Perry conversation when he was a rookie and, uh, he did not live up to it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's do this. Someone wants to ask a question. Jeremy P. I'm going to bring Jeremy up on stage. You talk to Alex. And I'm going to go and meet. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, guys. What's up, man? Um, I, just a couple questions. Um, with the Marks press conference, um, I know he was asked about Kyrie specifically, but the remarks he made about selfless and teammates that are all in, I kind of thought that that was that could apply to multiple players. I agree. That are on, that are on the team. Um, so I just wanted to get you guys feedback on that. And then kind of leading into Simmons, um, I, I think that it's obvious there's some acrimony there between the team, uh, between the 76ers and Simmons when he left. Was there any kind of was there similar frustration uh, with with the Nets team and Simmons on how he handled the situation and kind of the the evolving circumstances of that? Yeah, so yeah. I, I totally agree that um the comment he made about the guys being uh, selfless and everything applied to multiple multiple people, and and I took that too to mean Kyrie and Ben among others. Um, 
I, I thought the Simmons stuff was interesting in that, you know, I, it's funny, people were asking me on, on Twitter, everything about ask this, ask that, like there was a room about 30 reporters and I only get the mic handful of times. I can't hog it sadly, but because I want to ask them if there's anything the medical showed when they traded for Simmons. When it, it's, it's been an interesting week and a half with, with the Simmons stuff because when they, uh, when he backed out of game four and they do the back soreness, I definitely think that there was some exasperation on um, on the team side that this that this after all this time of him working out was a thing. But now that he's had back surgery, clearly that you know people that thought that was made up or or some kind of thing manufactured to get him from not playing is clearly proven to be true. So you know the the thing I want to ask Sean yesterday, he talked about Ben having a weird ramp up with the way it all went. I, I never understood why they couldn't just shut him down. That To me, that made the most sense. If his back was was that bad, why didn't you shut him down instead of kind of having this carrot dangling over them in the playoffs? Um, and that's the thing that I, I'm, I'm still trying to kind of get some explanation on just behind the scenes as to why why it was handled the way it was instead of just, you know, shutting him down and maybe preventing surgery possibly by doing so. Yeah, I mean, I... It's been so odd about how all this has been handled. I mean, I think what's very clear, when they got him, there was nothing medically, it seemed like nothing medically wrong. Even if you go back to the Ben Simmons press conference, uh, Alex, I know you're a dedicated Glue Guys listener. We had a whole Glue Guys Investigates episode like a couple of weeks ago where we pulled quotes, pulled the actual sound bites from the press conference, how people were talking what the reporting was at the time. There's no indication he was physically, he was asked specifically, how are you doing physically? And there was no indication that the back was any issue. The back was never brought up. So he got hurt, if he did get hurt, which I guess he did, at some point between getting traded and during the ramp up. And it's obvious that the team didn't think it was that big of an issue, but Ben did. Now, needing back surgery indicates, of course, it was an issue. Like there was something, of course, going wrong with your back. You don't just do that because you want to, you know, show save face on some level. But, you know, something weird happened in the ramp up. And they were preparing, if you believe Sham Sharani and Adrian Wojnarowski, for Ben to play in the playoffs. And he didn't. So something just just odd going on, right? Um and that's why I also will link back to why I don't believe, like me mentally, I will not even think about what Ben Simmons will look like on this team until I see him play basketball. You know, because you can't, you, not, no shots at him, but he's going to be recovering from back surgery and he will not have played basketball, like I said, for a year and a half. And he has been public about his mental health issues. So there's no way to know what he's going to look like. Going forward, I'm going to bring someone else up on stage. Rob S. Rob, real quick, if I Rob, yeah. before you uh, you say your piece, just because we've had Alexander A.'s question hanging for a bit about was Sean Marsh more transparent or firmer with his words to start controlling the narrative again? The team organization lost the same appeal and feel they had previously. The team did not have any cohesion or positive vibes all this year. I I thought I thought Sean was good on some things and then kind of his usual self on others. You know he. I said earlier he talked around some questions that I thought, frankly, uh, wouldn't have hurt to answer a little, little more firmer. You know, with him talking around what is the KD 
Kyrie era brought us, you know, I, I think instead of talking around about Kevin Durant's player development skills, it wouldn't have hurt to say, you know, you know, we've we've let Kevin down or haven't done as much as we should have on that. And it's been disappointing to our fans, too, or, or something like that. Um, so I, I thought he was good in some aspects, but um, but also, you know, left some stuff on the table. And I think that that's a typical, you know, Sean press conference where, you know, he's not going to show you his whole hand and he's not going to um, say everything. But I thought that, that the stance he took on Kyrie and, and talking about guys that want to be here was positive and and some of the other stuff was a little bit more to be expected with a failed cold shot like we talked about. I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead. Oh no, um thank you. Um actually I was gonna sort of sort of build on that point. Do you think like the the press conference shows that like Sean Marks may be kind of going back to what they like at least originally were planning to do with Kenny Atkinson in terms of like quote unquote building it the right way and then they they kind of do that and then they just sort of do a 180 and and now it's and it's kind of falling apart um it just seems so odd that for sean marks who came in wanting to sort of build this team the right way i understand you can't turn down Durant and irving but to but just to see it sort of going to a free fall which is kind of like alarming so I just wanted to see if, if the, is that is that like a Mark's issue, an ownership issue, and just like what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I have two thoughts. Uh, I thought something interesting that he said yesterday was about culture builders and trying to pursue some of those guys. And, and I took that, if you want to couple that with some of the Kyrie comments about how maybe they need more leadership uh, in the locker room than, than what they have already. And I, I've said a lot this year that I thought the most missed guy in the Nets this year was Jeff Green, not just from an on-the-court perspective, but you look at last year, he played with everybody on that roster. He played with Harden in Houston, Kevin and Kyrie before at different stops, um, on the Clippers with Blake Griffin. You know, he had a connection to everybody, and he was the guy that all the other guys were able to go to and say, how do I play along with them? And he was also an amazing locker room presence. The, the thing is, is that some of those, you know, those culture builder guys, I, I think we've kind of learned in recent years with all the injuries and attrition that every roster spot's important because that guy could go from 15th man or two-way guy to starting in a playoff game, i.e. Uh, e. the TLC way. And, you know, Ed Davis, Garrett Temple, you know, guys they've had in recent years who were great locker room guys and gave a little on the court. From a production standpoint, that doesn't really – give you a whole lot. So that's why when he said culture builders, I'm really kind of curious to see what that looks like because you want a guy that is a good locker room presence and a leader and maybe is someone that can step up when you need to in those situations. But also, you need, you know, you might need him to very well score baskets given the way this these past few years have gone with all the injuries and everything. Uh, from the from the going back to the, the Kenny Atkinson stuff and the player development stuff, I, I thought that was interesting too, you know, as you said, I don't think the process has been wrong for the Nets. I don't think, as you said, you know, they, they build up this team, they go get two superstars. I don't think anybody saw coming with, with James Harden how that would go, and I don't think, even though it didn't work out, I don't think the process was wrong. Clearly they overpaid, but at the same time, the you know the, the decline that he's had or, or father time hadn't yet kicked in. I, I think if this trade is a year into the future, it looks, so, it looks totally different. But um, but 
I, I the player development side is is interesting just because they they need to win now, and I don't know if they can afford to have some of these guys grow into the process. Like I, when I think of player development, I mean is Cam Thomas or Dayron a guy that they're looking to be a rotation piece? And the player development aspect is this summer there. I, I just kind of uh, do they use the draft pick this year as an instant impact guy like a Herb Jones type with what you've seen him do with the Pelicans? So that those are my thoughts with the player development side, just because the clock is ticking. And you only have so many ways to upgrade the roster and you can't really miss with spots as we've seen. So I, I, I think that there's some credence in that, but I think that they can't go very heavy on one side or the other with the culture builders or the player development side because they just need guys that can contribute and fill holes that, of, of what they're missing now. I don't know if Mike has a thought on that. Yeah, I, I, that Mark's quote, the Kyrie stuff's very interesting. I think the culture stuff is just right below that on the interesting scale. And to be honest, that probably has the greater long-term impact on what they're going to do this off season, because they're going to sign Kyrie Irving. Like I don't, I think Marks was saying what he was saying to sort of uh, indicate to Kyrie, Hey, we're going to have some expectations of you if you sign this deal with us. But the culture thing is indicative of, of like the, the seven players they're going to be bringing in on minimum to mid-level contracts. And I don't think it was like a shot against Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge, Drummond, or anyone like that. I think it was indicative of like, they kind of got like all-star buyout happy over the past two years. I think they were so excited by the idea of getting Blake Griffin, of getting LaMarcus Aldridge, and those guys contributed in their spots. But there's a reason why they are minimum contracts buyout people at the end of their careers, right? They are limited athletically. They can do – they're smart players. They're good guys and all that stuff, but they can only do certain things very well. LaMarcus coming back healthy and then not playing was really a big indication of, you know, what the team kind of thought of him at that point, which means that, like, he wasn't going to be able to play defense in the playoffs on the level that they needed to. So who do they target? I think Jeff Green is 100% right. It's like that player, maybe not as big of a name as Blake or LaMarcus, but they need to get back to getting the sort of the mid-tier, mid-level exception value guys who you only can get one of them this year. You know, you only get one mid-level exception. They need to target the one person they think is 6'8", who can play defense play small ball five and shoot threes, right? Like, who is that? I don't know, but they need to get that guy. They have the first round pick that they can choose to use for the Sixers. I think, so they have the option to use that pick or flip it to next year. They're going to use it this year because they're going to need to use that pick to trade for a veteran of some kind. It'll be hard to find a, a matching salary. They may have to trade Patty Mills and his contract to get that veteran, whoever that may be. But, you know, what they're going to be targeting is more sort of the 6'5 to 6'9 athletic 3 and D bodies that if you watch what the Dallas Mavericks are doing with Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, a lot of teams who are now playing in the, you know, what are the conference semifinals, they have a lot of those bodies. And the Nets had none besides Kessler Edwards. Right. And Ben Simmons, which we've talked about before, he's a big potential hole filler, as Sean Mark said. But, you know, you can't rely on him. So they're really going to have to attack it. 
we talk about the young guys, Alex. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm still hopeful that if if everything, if let's say next year is normal, which for this team is a bad bet, but let's just say Katie. Yeah, hold hold my dear Mike. Yeah, let's just say Katie, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, Seth Curry. They re-sign Bruce Brown. They re-sign Nick Claxton. And they're all of those guys are mostly healthy. Cam and Kessler should be able to be decent enough that they get into at least a regular season role. Whether they will have value in the playoffs, I don't know. But a regular season role. Dayron's a little more difficult because it's hard to be a young big man in the NBA if you're not like uber, uber athletically talented. And that's not Dayron's game. Dayron is just like size and rebounding. Size being like just bulkier. But he's not even that tall, ultimately. So it's hard for him to, it's hard for me to imagine him growing into a role that will be impactful in the playoffs. But Cam should at some level be that. And, of you know, Kessler played in the playoffs, frankly, because they needed him to. Um, I, the culture thing, Alex, was a very, very interesting piece of it. And I don't, I don't, it's hard to like, who they, who do they pull in to sort of rectify the culture? Like, do they bring Jamal Crawford out of retirement and just be like a good guy veteran on the team? You know, they need their Udonis Haslam. And you don't get a Udonis Haslam unless you win championships and that veteran sort of grows with the team. They win championships with that veteran and then he becomes the elder statesman. But they need a guy on that bench or they need Theo Pinson back, you know? <laughs> they need like the the jovial end of bencher who doesn't seem to care about playing and is like the best cheerleader in the world. You know, the, the vibes on the team was all, were all off. Uh, yeah. Well, it, not to cut you off, but you know, you just uh, floated trading Patty Mills. Isn't Patty Mills one of the, arguably the, the biggest culture builder on the roster right now. I mean, you know, old Steve Nash raved about this year was the impact he's had in the locker room and all that. So, I mean, to, it would be very suspicious to me of we need culture builders, but then trading the pick and Patty Mills for a veteran guy, I would hope. Um, I, I mean, you'd think that that would be one culture builder for another, right? Because, I mean, again, yes. Patty's one of the few guys they've had that you could put in that category. So I, uh, I, I agree with everything you said about the rookies. You know, I think Kessler, you know, it's funny. You talked to scouts this year who'd watch Kessler warm up when I was talking, and they all said the same thing, like, He's just got to get bigger. You know, Cam Thomas, I feel like physically is the most ready of all the rookies. I think that him, it's more about shot selection. And the one thing you talked about, the way uh, the feeling on LaMarcus towards the end of the season, all those guys, I, I think it said a lot that there would be times this season where, this past season now, where the offense of the second string in particular without Duran or Kyrie on the floor or Harden when he was there would be operating struggling to operate and he wouldn't Steve Nash wouldn't put in a LaMarcus a Blake a Cam some guy that could go get his own shot just to see what it could do and maybe the defense has to pay a little bit more attention to one of those guys I thought that was very telling and I, I thought that that Cam as a guy that could give Katie and Kyrie a break with the scoring I thought was kind of what he was drafted to do in a sense and that happened at times but not a ton of the time so I, I agree with your assessment of Cam and, and Kessler and as you said yet them using that pick this year for a trade, what they can get back value-wise is, is going to be interesting. And I, as you said, I just don't know where they go and get guys from 
in terms of, you know, Damari Carroll hasn't played really since he left Brooklyn. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who you go pull and get the, the Steve hire Jared Dudley to his coaching staff. Cause that's the closest thing. Maybe like, I don't, I can't really point to a guy in the NBA off the top of my head and say, this is a guy that they, they both fits a need is within price range, maybe on the minimum and also could be part of that culture equation they're trying to figure out right now. I, I think it's a hard task, and I don't envy Sean for that. And and as you said, you know, about they targeted a lot of guys that were already over the hill. I think the Isaiah Hartenstein thing, which is my only good idea for a while, and that's why I'm writing it so much. I mean, <laughs> they chose Paul Millsap over Isaiah Hartenstein. It did not work out at all. And as John Hollinger said in the story today, please read that the Nets need to find this year's Isaiah Hardenstein, the guy they can get on the minimum who revives his career in Brooklyn, and then they're having a conversation with next year as to are they are they using the exception on him or do they have the leeway to maybe go a different direction? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell everyone to do this. Go to Hoopsype, look at salaries for next year. For all, like you can look at every player's salary for next year who's committed to a contract. Patty Mills makes it, I think it's about like 6.1 million. He's on a player option. So technically he could decline it if he didn't really enjoy his time in Brooklyn. Right. And particularly if they are trading him, Patty Mills will probably just decline the contract because he'll, he's still worth a mid-level exception for another contender. There were multiple contenders last year, the Bucks and the Lakers being two of them who wanted Patty Mills. So if they're going to trade him, like I'm not saying they're going to trade him. I'm just, when you look at the Nets contracts, they're, they really don't have many guys that they can trade because it's the big three who are making max money. It's Joe Harris at $18, $19 million a year. And if you're talking about culture, you're not trading him. Seth Curry's on an incredible contract for one more year at $8.5 million next year for his final year of his contract. I, I can't imagine they would trade him because he was valuable for them. And that's you're not going to find value like that. So they didn't really have any tradable contracts um, at that point. But this team, they realistically need two to three guys who can play 20 to 25 minutes a game and guys who are particularly oriented to being like athletic defenders, right? I think, you know, their defense will improve if Ben Simmons actually plays basketball. But they play – so poorly from an analytic standpoint, the Nets are team mid-range. Kevin and Kyrie are the greatest mid-range shooters in the NBA right now, but they are team mid-range. Kenny Atkinson's offense was all threes and interior, you know, shots. They've completely flipped that heat map script from their shooting tracking. Um, and they've actually brought it. They actually brought a bunch of dudes in like Blake like LaBarcus, who were mid-range shooters too. Um, it just makes your offense – you have to be operating at such a high efficiency. And losing Harden, uh, you, they didn't go to the line nearly as much as they did when they had him, of course. So, like, they were so inefficient from an offensive perspective that the sort of, like, acceptable level of difference between if they were hitting their averages or hitting below averages, it would greatly impact what would happen in the game. So what they need to do is stock the roster with a bunch of three and D dudes, but that's expensive to happen. That's expensive to do. So, you know, if Ben Simmons comes back, they'll be fine, but there's a lot to go on I, before we go. Cause I, we're, we should go in a sec, but I want to ask you one question, which is as the season was ending, 
there was a lot of heat on Steve Nash. It felt like the team wasn't performing up to even the capability, as damaged as they were, up to the capability they should. Ultimately, they went into the playoffs with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving healthy and available for every playoff game. And they got swept. It seems like Steve Nash, I mean, they just had to end of the year press conference where he also spoke. And that's pretty much an indication that the guy's going to stay. Um, are you surprised that there is no heat on Nash or because of your closeness with the team, being an insider that you are, you never thought that Nash was going to have the heat that maybe the fan base felt? Yeah, I think a few things can be true. One, I think that Steve, I, I think, Last year, he did a phenomenal job and maybe didn't get enough credit that he deserves given everything they were dealing with. I also think that this year he was dealt a much different roster and struggled to make it work. You know, I, I would talk to people around the league who would say, you know, when I ask about the job he's doing, they would say they have injuries, Kyrie, et cetera, and you have to play Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, and DeAndre Bembry together. You try to find a way to run decent offense against certain teams with that many non-shooters. So I, I don't think it was all his fault. Um, I, I think a couple of things. I mean, if, if, if they were to get rid of Steve Nash, I truly don't know who you hire that has the big name and resume that, that it appeared Durant and Irving wanted the last coaching search that is going to take the job and, and be effective. And I also think that given the, the past two years he's had, you know, he, he deserves – assuming next year, as you said, is, is normal, quote-unquote, that he deserves um, uh, a look. I, I, think, I think some of Steve's best traits, some of what you're also dealing with the media, are probably why, you know, he, it's easy for him to get on the, the bad side of fans. You know, you think about all the, time, all the hands he's been dealt. He comes in the post-game press conference. He's the same monotone voice. He doesn't show his emotions. He kind of keeps himself together, which I don't think is easy. And I'm sure if you're a fan watching this team and you see that, there's got to be part that you're just like, come on, Steve, show me you care, right? It reminds me a little bit. Someone told me that covered Jacques Vaughn in Orlando that Jacques Vaughn, you, you couldn't really tell, was rattled from all the tanking, right? He just he, – he went in and he did his thing, and, and some fans thought that it didn't really matter that much to him. And I'm sure it was eating him alive behind the scenes. So I, I think that – so, that sometimes Steve's temperament in that stuff maybe doesn't do him favors when it comes to his public perception. And I also think that, you know, some of the way he's handled some things just haven't helped either. And, you know, him talking about, you know, we're a new team and this is the hand we've been dealt. Like, I get all that, but also the expectations regardless for championship or bust. I think it's tough to kind of walk those two lines of we're a new team, but also they're supposed to win the whole thing. You know, it just doesn't really... Those, those are tough ideas, I think, to marry and seem convincing. So I never really thought his job was in jeopardy because I just I, – I can't really – yeah, I was getting a Sorry, call. Sorry, you dropped off I was getting a call. I hung up on them. What uh, – what? You be, just just like the, you said, I don't think his job is was in jeopardy, but – and it was very dramatic that he dropped off right there. It sounded like uh, the Nets hacked your phone. Um, but we were saying – after that, you said you never thought his job was in jeopardy, but you hate him. Is that what you're going to say? Wow, Alex. That's, no, that's, I uh, I was oh. going to say I I think he's uh, I think he's uh, I don't think his job was ever in jeopardy, 
But I do think that next year, assuming they can stay healthy or mostly healthy and develop some continuity and chemistry, I think the microscope gets in on him as to what he can really do as a coach and whether or not he can he can be the guy to, to lead them on a deep playoff run or coach them in a deep playoff run. Yeah, I mean, he has had one of the oddest introductions to uh, being a head coach possible. I'm not watching Winning Time, but it's almost like Pat, how Pat Riley was a co-head coach with Jerry West, uh, and then Jerry West was like, actually, no, Pat Riley's going to coach the team. Um, it, it is a very odd way, and if you defend, want to defend Steve Nash, you can say he had so many injuries. He had Kyrie Irving's anti-vax stance that totally blew up this season. He had James Harden quitting on him at one point, um, it, not on him, but on the team. And and Kevin Durant is still in his corner, and that's all that matters. And that is all that matters. But when you watch the basketball games, it feels like very little advantage is gained by Steve Nash being the tactical manager for the team. Um, if everyone is healthy going into the year, including Ben Simmons, if the team doesn't start off great, all that pressure is just going to go to Steve Nash because there'll be no one else to blame ultimately. Even Maybe you could blame Sean Marks a little bit, but typically GMs aren't fired mid-season uh, to address an in-season issue. That's a, they usually fall on the coach. So it's going to be a high-pressure situation for Steve Nash. He probably recognizes that. He's obviously been around the league. <laughs> He's, it's not uncommon for him to, to understand. Uh, what Wasn't he on that game. Lakers team that Mike Brown got fired like 10 games into the season on and D'Antoni came in, something like that? Yeah, he, he, is, he was on the famous Sports Illustrated cover Lakers this team. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, so he understands um, as an observer. And also he's a big fan of, of soccer, and it's very common for European soccer coaches to uh, be fired very quickly into a season if things don't go quite the way they want to. So I just it's going to be a massive year for him. The thing I will be watching is if the Nets hire not Mike D'Antoni, but a Mike D'Antoni-level assistant coach on the bench – Sort of in the way that Nate McMillan was hired uh, for Lloyd in Pierce. Atlanta for for Lloyd Pierce. Uh, we've seen this many times before, where Jason Frank, Kidd with Frank Vogel, yeah, where a high level assistant coach is brought on to the bench, whoever that may be. Maybe it's Frank Vogel as an assistant coach, and it it is sort of like the management's uh, coaching waiting. Just like almost if if like an NFL team brought in a backup quarterback that they actually wanted to start just to put pressure and competition on the starter. It happens in the NBA, even though it sounds silly. This is what happened. It has happened many times in the NBA. If that name, maybe it's Steve Clifford, goes from the consulting role to, uh, you know, the assistant head coach role, even though Jock Barnes already there. If that happens, then that's. Um, not a great sign for Steve Nash because that gives the Nets an easy opportunity to let Nash go. I don't think they want to do it. They don't want to let Steve Nash go. So I'm not, it's not that Machiavellian, um, but it is very possible. Um, 
Okay. Well, thank you. So, I mean, Alex, any last thoughts before we go? I mean, I have a final question for you for us to wrap this up. Yes, sir. Based on what we've seen out of James Harden this year, both in the six with the Sixers <laughs> and in the playoffs, yes. had in a perfect world he stayed in the Bandits together. Do you think they had enough offense to win the whole thing? Because I have since grown skeptical in recent months that that would have been the case based on the way James has looked. Well, so the lineup would have been James Harden, Kyrie Irving. So the, obviously they would not have had Seth Curry. It would have been Kevin Durant. Patty Mills probably with the, for the shooter spot. Patty Mills for the shooter spot. And Claxton would have been starting like he did, right? Um, you know, Drummond ended up not doing anything in the playoffs. So we can completely disregard Drummond. Curry was hurt. Uh, we knew he had an ankle injury. He wasn't at full capacity. And now he has an- he's gotten surgery, right, on his ankle? Yes. Which is another great the, – the Nets and ankle surgery is a really a thing I would like to – uh, men in black zap out of my brain, but uh, he has ankle surgery. The thing that Harden, Harden would have had, um, it, it would have been, I think, better for Harden to have stayed in Brooklyn if Kyrie and KD were playing with him than what, because still it's like, even though Harden's getting a lot of like flack for how he's playing in Philly, ultimately it's like still pretty hard for a guy like him to shoot onto a team midseason um, and play with Embiid and Maxi and figure all that out. You know, it's not easy, but it would have been better for him to stay in Brooklyn because at least he had some kind of history with Kevin Durant and some history a little bit with Kyrie playing on the floor with him. Would they have had enough? No. I mean, the, ultimately, the role players would have been because if, if if Seth Curry's not on the team and Drummond's not giving you 20 minutes, that means they are playing LaMarcus Aldridge 20 minutes a game in the playoffs against the Celtics. They are playing or Blake. playing Blake a lot more. Um, we have and, one last audience request. Yeah. Do we let Donald D on stage real quick? Yeah. Donald Driver, you're here. Hey, Donald. What's up? I was going to say Donald Duck. Donald Duck, what's up? Hey, guys. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you, man. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, man. Thanks for letting me on. Um, just, you know, see real quick, this was a hard season for the Nets. You know, um, Nash takes a lot of flack. You know, I think we understand that he's not the best X and O's coach, all right? Um, you know, but I can live with that. I think what we can't live with is that the inconsistencies um, from the whole organization, you know, um, but we would expect Nash to get better inside of year two. I feel that he regressed, and that may be because of Dan Tony and Empire of Fox Doka leaving. But the style of play of isolation is not going to win against the top-notch teams. And I think that has to go back either to KD and Kyrie or it has to go back to Nash or all three of them. Um, so we need to get some younger. We need to get some small forwards who can play power for it and get a little bit more athletic. Um, but I think it has to start, though, with having to take control of this organization. Guys have to be available to play. You know, I do respect Kyrie for what he actually go ahead and took as a stance. I can't tell him what to do with his body. I understand that. He's a great player. But I play sports, and I can tell right now, I would have had a hard time to leave my 11 guys in the locker room, you know, not playing. That would have been awfully difficult because it's a brotherhood. And I don't know, like Mark said, is everybody all invested? And so that's going to have to be something that they really decide. Is everybody invested? Yeah, I, I think you're – I think you're – I think – they're going to do 
so there was a big deal. And Alex, you wrote about this really well. Beginning of the year, there was this big team building exercise at Joe Size Mansion in San Diego. And, you know, this team, we talked about culture before, and Donald, you just brought it up. This team needs a, like a culture reset, as lame as it is to co- continually sort of talk about heat culture and Spurs culture and all that kind of stuff. And as much as Nets fans miss the culture that was under the Kenny Atkinson era, and that was asked specifically in the Mark's press conference, this team is just, because of injury and anti-vax stances, this team's uh, culture has been non-existent. And culture really translates to not just like, hey, everyone likes to pat each other on the back and cheer for each other. It also means like cohesion on the court and sort of that next level understanding. And this team, you know, I was watching that Bucks Celtics game uh, last night when Giannis is bleeding from his face and the Bucks are scrapping and doing everything they can to win that game. Of course, the Bucks they just want to championship their culture. You know, they have a real ethic to them right now. It, it really stands in such stark contrast. Um, like if the Nets had played the Bucks, the, the Nets aren't good enough and weren't good enough after watching what playoff basketball is like right now with the final eight teams, the Nets weren't good enough. And this whole year coming up, if it becomes the jumbled mess that it was this past year, the Nets are, are continue to have no chance to win the championship. They need – yeah, Donald. Yeah, Donald. No, if I, no, that, you know, as I totally agree with you, but one thing I think we can see, and I hate to use this word, but I believe we have a you know, very soft team. If you look at the playoffs, it's a physical game, and we don't have guys now. Maybe when Ben comes back, you know, he's going to bring that along. But a lot of our guys are so finesse orientated um, that in the playoff game, it's not going to win. I mean, we were just really small, really soft. And I'll say one more thing to you. I mean, to point you said though, Mike, you know about the culture. I think the culture went out when we made the trade for Harden. We showed no patience in that. I would rather have made a trade for Ben Simmons in a three-way than trade for Harden because you basically sold everything out and they gave away what was the, I mean, sort of foundation. The guys who, who well, the guys that were going to be the grit of the team, they were just see, moved out. So now you have three guys who are superstars who just want to be you know, like placated to all the time, all right, because that's how it is. I mean, that's the truth. I don't care if you're LeBron James, if you're Michael Jordan, you're Kevin Durant. If you're a superstar, you're used to being, say, placated to you lost a lot of that say, backbone of the team when you made that trade. And you hampered yourself from being able to make moves in the future. That's the one thing I'll say about moves. He's done a great job. But that, I think, was an ever. Donna, I think that's a great point. Uh, I'm just going to boot you off stage because we're about to go. Because that, that's a great way to end the, the, what we talked about because it loops all the way back to what we, Alex and I discussed in the beginning, which is the Kyrie Irving uh, comments that Sean Marks made about Kyrie Irving. And I think ultimately what all that leads back to is something you said, Alex, which is Marks has been burdened in the past about talking about extensions and then not happening. And it's also like this team is going to begin to take a little bit more of a not it's not anti-player at all. It's just more of a like, OK, we need a little bit more structure and expectations around what this team is. Because ultimately, if we continually let, you know, sort of everyone do what they want, everyone be their own little planet in our orbit, well, then no one's working together towards the same goal, right? Like the the best form of a team structure is if everyone is trying to take their steps 
to the same goal. And I think the problem with this team is too many times it felt like Kyrie does his own thing, Kevin does his own thing, Harden does his own thing, and then, you know, no one's really working together, right? Uh, Marx's comments that he didn't have to say, but he said because he wanted to, I think is indicative of this team trying to put a little more structure around what they're doing, whether it will be successful. Um, and we'll have all summer to speculate about Kyrie Irving trades or contracts or whatever is going to happen. Um, there'll be plenty to discuss. Yeah, my closing thought, I let you guys talk for a while. You know, Donald was talking about the, the isolation-heavy stuff. I think the Nets have been at their absolute best the past two years, whether it was with the big three or even just two of them when they were moving the ball really well on offense. And the Nets are not the only team that goes isolation-heavy at times. You know, I was watching that Timberwolves-Grizzly series, and Carl Anthony Towns was hitting some pull-up threes where I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? Um, and, and he wasn't the only one on that team in that series doing that. So I don't think the Nets are the only ones guilty of that. But what I do think is, you know, they, they haven't really had an, an identity. We talk about the culture, but they haven't really had an identity on one set on offense because of all the moving parts. And I, I think the goal is, as you said, to not just find culture getters and all that fit and athletic wings and all that, but like find guys that Kyrie and Kevin are going to trust and can produce in the playoffs where they are moving the ball and it is one cohesive unit and not hero ball with three other guys out there on the court sometimes. And, and that's the project they now face in the coming months. All right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for doing this. Um, what a blast. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back doing this so much more in the off season, particularly around some breaking news. Um, we'll try to get on, do these live rooms so we can immediately react to what's happening. Um, just real quick things to look out for is the Kyrie Irving contract situation, what they do with Nick Claxton, what they do with Bruce Brown, the draft and, pick. What, and the draft pick. Do they, they just made four, four draft picks or whatever in the last draft. I don't think they need to stock this team with more young talent. I think what they're going to look to do is move it on draft night or whatever for a veteran that can contribute. Think Jeff Green type, probably not Jeff Green, but someone like that, there's going to be plenty of teams that will want to, you know, take that pick and they'll give up a veteran for whoever that is. So anyways, Alex, thank you so much. Alex has written a bunch of great stories lately. So everyone read him. And if you have people in your life who aren't athletic subscribers, just like demand that they become subscribers because this is where you got to be in these conversations. Thanks, and if Alex. you enjoyed me today, please at BK Glue Guys on Twitter. <laughs> call out Mike for his selfishness to have me on the show more. He's a selfish, selfish man, and hopefully uh, we can we can get him to change. Yes, um, I, I will mute all of you. Thank you. Goodbye, guys.